This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I feel like for so long on this podcast, we've been talking about the dawn of football season, and we're officially upon it now. I guess officially, officially. We've said a few times officially over the last few weeks, but I'm recording this intro while watching an NFL football game. I won't spoil it for you, uh, but the Panthers are about to kick a field goal. What's going to happen next? I don't know. That's the fun part about this. Um, (laughs) If you're listening... You, you do know, but but in the moment, we don't, so the suspense is still very, very real. Uh, but as the NFL season has kicked off tonight, the Panthers and the Denver Broncos, we talked to another NFL voice on Play-By-Playcast this week, and that is the brand-new voice of the brand-new Los Angeles Rams, J.B. Long. Get to a little bit on JB here in a second, but uh, as always off the top, quick housekeeping. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast uh, or interact with the podcast, uh, love it when we hear from people. Let us know that uh, they listen and this is helpful uh, for them because it's great for me and I've loved doing it, uh, but it's always good to know that it makes an impact out there also and that, that other people are listening and I'm not just broadcasting a podcast for my educational benefit and and my mother's entertainment while she drives around New Jersey. Uh, so uh, th- thank you to those that have reached out, uh, and uh, I'm glad the podcast uh, is helpful in some way, shape, or form. But uh, you can reach out on Twitter, at PXPCast, uh, or you can uh, hit me up individually as well, at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Use the hashtag PXPCast as well uh, if you want to interact. J.B. Long now, really interesting guy to talk to, and our conversation today, one of the longest that we've had so far in, I think now, what, 13 episodes of Play-By-Playcast? Yeah, this is episode 13 here today. J.B.'s done a lot of very different and interesting things throughout his career, be it uh, working for Big Ten Network, MLB Network, uh, Bright House Sports Network down in Florida, He's worked as a TV anchor and a TV reporter. Uh, He's been at Pac-12 Networks. Now he's a play-by-play guy in the NFL. Uh, J.B. Long has covered a lot of different things. We're going to talk a lot about fencing play-by-play. There's like a 15-minute block in this interview where we talk about fencing play-by-play, which I guarantee you did not expect when you hit download this morning. Um, But uh, I think it's interesting because it's relevant with when we taped this, the Olympics were going on. And we talked a lot about Olympic broadcasting and how on earth you broadcast fencing or speed walking or race walking uh, or sport climbing. Uh, So uh, interesting things to get to uh, here with J.B. Long on uh, Play-By-Play Cast. But uh, first off, J.B., let's start with your career. And uh, thanks, as always, for for doing this and, and spending some time with us. Uh, I want to take you back to the beginning, though, because I know that you got into this in a little bit of a different avenue from uh, the start of your career. Walk me through uh, the beginning of 
your broadcasting roots and where this whole thing kind of grabbed uh, hold for you? I guess my general philosophy was just to continue to take the best opportunity that was available to me and subsequently to my family and to pursue lots of things within, I guess, a focused realm, right? Like I didn't want to just be pursuing badminton here and tennis there. I think I had a general sense of what I was good at and capable of. And then geographically and within kind of the sports sphere where I wanted to be. Uh, And then just kind of being diligent about keeping an eye out for opportunities and uh, managing my content and my work so that I can uh, build relationships and put my, my work in front of people who are decision makers in terms of how it happened or why it happened. That's, that's a much larger question than, than I can answer or would even have the answer to. I've just been blessed and very fortunate and, uh, I'm, I'm in no way even thinking much less saying that I'm deserving of the opportunities that I've had and continue to have. So I'll leave it at that. I want to dive into some of the specifics uh, of, of the things you've done, but if I can go way back, um, I know you did play by play in college, uh, but you started in television. Did you, what did you kind of want to do? And, and what was your focus coming out of school as far as how you wanted to tackle that? It's a good question, and it's a unique one for me because uh, I was going to be an investment banker, and I went to Notre Dame to study finance, and through my junior year was very much on that track, even into my senior year was was on that track. Um, I had the opportunity to intern with NBC Olympics at the 2004 Games in Athens. And that was between my junior and senior year at Notre Dame. And then, Joe, I kind of came off of that experience with, in the back of my head, this thought, like, who am I kidding, right? Like, if I can find a way to do this professionally, excuse me, um, that's that's where my heart is. But even still, I kind of forged ahead with the finance stuff. And I was in a final interview with a bank in Chicago, actually. And... Uh, as my recollection of the story goes, as we wrapped up the interview, they essentially kind of put the contract in front of me and said, you know, normally we'd give you the chance to go home and think this over, talk to your family. Um, but we have a feeling that your mind and your heart are in a different place. So if you're telling us you're ready to sign up and do this for the next two years, great. Um, if looking at this is kind of daunting and, and gives you pause, then maybe you should listen to that that voice uh and and i wish i had kept better track of who those people were um so that i could follow up with them years later and say thank you because they knew me better than i knew myself at that point and all i had done to that point was a little bit of student radio and some some intern work for nbc olympics and i just i guess i just realized that if i was going to strike out on this path i needed to figure out whether or not I could do television, which is a very real question. Until you uh, stood in front of a live camera or read off a teleprompter, I remember once I finally got that first job, the kind of the weeks leading up to that, just having these little mini panic attacks. Like, what if, what if I can't do this? What if I just (laughs) freeze or can't breathe? And um, anyway, I I just kind of needed to know whether or not I was capable of doing that. Because if so, great. If not, then I would just focus on radio and and play-by-play and try and figure that out. So it was also easier to find a a TV job initially. In those days, there was a site called tvjobs.com, as generic as that sounds. 
and you could, you know, reply to postings from every TV market in the country. So I think that's a long-winded way of answering your question, how I gravitated towards television and started my broadcasting career initially. How long did the, the hyperventilating uh, take to, to go away uh, and get to the point where you felt you could do it? Honest to God, Joel, the answer to that is I still don't feel that way. I, there are still moments where I, where I doubt uh, as recently as last week, kind of going into the first Rams preseason game. I had serious questions about whether uh, I was going to be able to perform to the level that I expected and that Los Angeles expected and the NFL expects. Uh, I've had countless instances of that kind of self-questioning, self-doubt, if you will. And I would imagine, though I, I don't know comprehensively, that most broadcasters feel that way. And if, if they don't, they're certainly blessed to have a self-confidence and a, an assurance that I don't necessarily experience on a day-to-day basis. But I think that's, that's kind of the challenge and the fun of what we do is finding out if you can and how well you can. And I, I hope that that never changes. If it ever gets to the point where it feels routine or, or second nature, now obviously we want to get better and more comfortable. And once you've done something 50 or 100 times, it, it does start to feel that way. But I hope I never get to the point where I just take a skill or an ability or an opportunity for granted. I hope I always feel like I have to push myself to deliver a product night in and night out. Where did you get to the point where play-by-play came into the picture for you professionally? Uh, You're working in Quad Cities and you're working in Oklahoma. When did I want to do play-by-play or the opportunity to do play-by-play present themselves? Um, Or or did that come into being when you got to Tampa? You know, it was something that I I think I always wanted and I always set as a goal to get back to after I kind of embarked on local television. It was always in my head a means to an end, if that makes sense. And when I was in Rock Island, Illinois, my first TV job, I, one of the things that I did is I went to an Illinois-Iowa basketball game at Carver-Hawkeye in Iowa City, and I took our TV camera, and I just recorded the whole game. I sat on the baseline, and I recorded the whole game. Part of it was for work. Part of it was so that I would have a clean audio track that I could later go back to our station and lay down, basically black out the ESPN audio of that game and instead just put down the whistles and the the scratch of the sneakers, the squeak of the sneakers. And then on the next audio track, I could record my own version of play-by-play for that game, kind of in post-production. So even when I was kind of doing Friday night football in Iowa and Illinois, in my spare time, I would be practicing my play-by-play And uh, the next stop that I had was in Tulsa. And while I was there, I had started, I guess, a a small relationship with the Big Ten Network and got my first opportunity to be a part of like a game broadcast crew. So I did uh, a sideline reporting opportunity for a football game. And I did a couple of play-by-play events for men's basketball. And and at that point, it was kind of in my blood. And I, I knew that the direction I wanted to head was right for me, that it kind of just validated that thought that I had that local television was a means towards full-time play-by-play work. Uh, So uh, I I looked for my next opportunity from Tulsa with that kind of in mind and was fortunate to find Bright House Sports Network, which is where you and I eventually crossed paths in the Tampa Bay area. And what was 
special about that opportunity, it was a mix of a lot of things. One, the opportunity to cover professional sports, which I had not done to that point. Uh, two, the opportunity to work for like a regional cable entity that covered sports full time. I was no longer sharing time with the traffic accident or the weather. Uh, it, was, it was all sports all the time. And lastly, it was the first entity I worked for that had game rights, that had the rights to broadcast arena football and Big East basketball and football and baseball and soccer. And uh, it was a, a nice mix of what I had done to that point and what I wanted to do going forward. And it gave me the opportunity to call more games on TV than I had uh, by, by big time multiples to that point. So that was a no brainer for me, even though it was across the country from where I'm from and where I ultimately wanted to be. It was a really nice transition from kind of the anchor desk or reporting in the field to uh, putting on the headset and calling a game. How much did the taking the route you took maybe help you uh, versus somebody who's saying from day one, I want to be play by play. I'm only going to do play by play. And if that means I've got to go do high school radio in East Pocatello, I'm going to go do that versus putting yourself on television and, and being able to be in front of the camera a lot and develop the skill it takes to be on camera versus just broadcasting in and of itself. And, and then that leading you to an opportunity to place like bright house and, and so on down the line. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think it, my career path makes sense in hindsight, but I think everyone's probably does. I don't sure. think the way I did it is necessarily right. In fact, people, uh, ask me often who are, who are trying to pursue similar things, you know, what should I do? What, what should I be looking for? And, and it's a tough question to answer because I don't think there is a right answer. It, it depends what you value. If you are from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and all you've ever wanted to be is a talk show radio host in Milwaukee, well, then I would take any and all opportunities in Milwaukee and continue to build your reputation in that city, whether it's on or off the air and just trust that ultimately something will open up and you'll meet the right people. If geography is not your concern, if sport is your preference, if you love baseball and you want to be a major league baseball announcer, and that's all that you really want to do or care to do in the realm of broadcasting, well then yeah, take that, that short season single A affiliate opportunity or just go sit in the stands and call those teams in your spare time and don't necessarily worry about going to CBS in Rock Island like I did. I didn't really have as refined a sense of ultimately where I wanted to get to. I think I took more of a scattershot approach and, uh, and just kind of picked and choose somewhat within geography, but I, all that to say, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think you just kind of have to continually examine what your priorities are, what you can afford financially, quite honest. That's another sure. major factor is is how, how many bills do you have to pay and when are they coming due? Um, that's, that's definitely a reality. But, you know, just like any other walk of life, you have a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. And if you kind of evaluate the options in front of you in light of those goals, uh, I would hope that your decisions, certainly my decisions, became a little bit more available, a little bit more obvious. You know, it's interesting. I, when I look at all the stuff that you've done, too, like, personally, I am an inherently like horrendous networker. I, just, I, I, I don't enjoy the process of like reaching out and, and 
ask, I, feeling like you're asking things of people sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like, uh, that, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I feel like you're, you're really good at making connections just by looking at the, the types of opportunities that you've come across. Um, how have you, and I guess this kind of goes back to where we started a little bit too, but how do you come across so many, you know, the 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 Big Tens and the MLB networks and those types of things and getting yourself ingrained in those places or even, um, like I was reading about how you wound up at Pac-12 a little bit from the standpoint of when you saw the conference was expanding, you thought there could be something there and you reached out and let things develop from that point. Uh, how does that all happen uh, or how did it all happen for you? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I'm kind of more on your end of the spectrum, I think, with I'm, I'm not necessarily someone who, who's good at shaking hands and just making small talk. Uh, I'm not good at asking favors either. It's always something that I've been relatively uncomfortable with unless I had something to kind of offer in exchange. The one thing that I, I believe I forced myself to do, which has served me well, is just ask for candid feedback. Uh, and kind of put myself out there early and often in a position where, look, I know I'm not ready for this job or this opportunity that you're in charge of, but as someone who I would ultimately like to interview with, can you tell me where I'm at now and can you help me get from where I am now to where you would expect me to be the next time that you do have an opportunity, something like that, sure. uh, where, where whoever the hiring manager is on the other side uh, I guess has a little bit of a sense that you're just not another resume or a reel crossing their desk, that you're someone who has kind of a holistic view of the industry or the market or whatever it is that you're targeting and has a genuine desire to get better. And I think what that hopefully has established for me is uh, one, a willingness to absorb constructive criticism, which I, I do think I maintain. And, and two, just, um, I guess an approach or an air of, of understanding and not, not demanding or expecting. Um, and, and then I, I would just kind of add as a, as I guess, like an appendix to that, always write thank you notes to the people who did take the time, even if they took the time to say, Hey, you're doing great. Not this time. Or, um, you know, here, here X, Y, and Z that you might think about. Uh, just just follow up with those people and say thank you because I can't tell you how many people have offered their thoughts, taken 30 minutes or an hour out of their day to give me some feedback. And believe me, I, I can't offer them, you know, a round of golf or a dinner or anything in return. A lot of those debts are going to go unpaid for, for the duration of my life and career. But I definitely took their emails or their phone calls, phone conversations to heart and tried to incorporate them into my on-air products. So um, I'm, I'm not good to, to kind of go back to the convention networking thing. I, I think my Rolodex is probably as unimpressive as anyone in my field, but I hope the people that I have had the chance to cross paths with or exchange emails with understand how appreciative I am of the role that they've played. Can I steal all of that? Cause that sounds fantastic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome to. I mean, and that's really the best that I can give in terms of advice. And, and thankfully, I've, I've, I've now, I guess, achieved a position where I'm getting asked for advice as much as I'm asking for advice. And believe me, I'm continuing to seek out uh, advice. But it's weird now to be asked, being asked 
a lot of the same questions that I used to ask and have always asked. And uh, boy, it's, it's, it's awkward how it feels to be kind of on this side of the table. And I, I, I worry that I put some people in some, some strange predicaments, you know, forced to contend with my goals and my aspirations uh, in the midst of their busy agendas. What are some of the questions that were common thread for you? Were there, were there things, especially early as you're starting to get going and uh, as you started to get your TV stuff and then as you start getting more at Bright House, were there, were there things that you found as common threads that were most helpful or intriguing to you uh, that, that came up? I think I wanted to know, you know, from an objective standpoint, how do I look? How do I sound relative to the caliber of broadcaster that you're looking for? Uh, within the scope of my abilities, is there anything you would suggest into, into how I could enhance my product? Um, you know, is there anything that I can do to further demonstrate my qualifications or my interests in this team or league or market? I think all those kind of open-ended thoughts and questions express the willingness to put in the work that it's going to take to have success. Um, and, and I think another thing is, is let's not, let's not pretend that it's all about your work product either. Right. We don't, in this industry, we don't necessarily work in a meritocracy. I mean, I like to think that, that good things happen to good people and those who want it most and who, who try the hardest, but it's not like we have quarterly reports and we hit our numbers and we turn them in and say, okay, make me vice president now. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of competing factors and it's an intensely competitive industry. And believe me, I would be the first to admit that whatever job I have now or have had have held in the past, I don't pretend that just because I was offered the position that I was the best candidate or the most qualified candidate. And I think it kind of goes back to another point, which I'm sure you've heard a lot during this podcast is the toughest thing about what we do is, is hearing no. And if you are going to ask for feedback, if you're going to ask for someone to critique your work, uh, you better be braced for them to say, it's not that great, or I don't like it, or it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like Monday night football or Sunday night football in America or big Monday or whatever it is that we're shooting for. Um, just like you can feel qualified for or ready for an opportunity and the stars just don't align. And even if you did put your best foot forward, the answer, because there are 200 applications and only one role is going to be no. And the other thing is just timing because let's face it, we have such great opportunities, such great jobs that once once people get them, they do, they put in a lot of time and hours to make sure that they don't let those things go. So, uh, shy of, um, shy of health or illness or retirement or the opportunity to move, relocate elsewhere. A lot of, I mean, I, I kind of this conversation when I was interviewing with the Rams, if everything works out, hopefully this is the only time that this job comes open in my lifetime. And so why am I, why am I so invested? Why am I so interested now is because I fully expect that whoever lands this job is going to do everything within his or her power to keep it for a long, long time. So, uh, striking at the right moment is, is beyond our control, but is definitely a factor in what we're trying to do. 
I want to come back to uh, – I obviously want to get to the Rams uh, here before we're, we're done, but I, I want to touch on some of the Pac-12 stuff too. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think most interestingly is not the, the the sports that everybody knows, but the fact that you've kind of been included uh, in golf and soccer and wrestling, and I know you've broadcast fencing. Um, mm-hmm. How How do you get yourself to a point where – and I've thought this a lot while watching the Olympics, um, where you can come off as an authority uh, or enough of an authority that somebody takes you seriously in those sports. How much prep work, how much talking, how much uh, do you have to do to get to a point where you're comfortable being believable, for lack of a better term? Yeah, it's a really topical theme and question given the Olympics ongoing right now. Uh, I want to start by saying I, I had offered a bit of advice early that's kind of figure out what you want to do and then like maintain kind of a laser focus in pursuit of that channel. Sure. Well, the, the caveat to that is I think you can learn something about broadcasting, about television or radio, about yourself by stepping outside of that channel, stepping outside of that comfort zone. And so I have tried to never be afraid or hesitant to try fencing or golf or wrestling, something that I don't necessarily have a background in. Believe me, I have a background in golf, which is not a very good one. <laughs> um, but because, you know, while you're learning about that sport and its rules and its history and its key players, um, I think that all is kind of like a transferable skill. I think you, you just, you learn about your process. You learn about what you need to do to prepare to be prepared, and I'll get to your ultimate question here in just a second. Uh, I think preparing for fencing or rugby or whatever it is teaches you something about how to prepare for football or basketball or baseball or something that's more bread and butter for you. Um, In terms of how do you actually get to the point where you can speak with any kind of authority on, on the topic, especially if it's something you've been given in short notice. I mean, there's no way, for instance, to ramp up to fencing Uh, I began with the NCAA championships and I had about three weeks to prepare for it. I think the first thing that I would advise is don't think that you can don't think, don't go into it with the assumption that in three weeks time, I'm going to become the foremost American authority on college fencing. No, you're not because the student athletes and the coaches and the administrators have been doing this for much, much longer than you. And they just have a greater breadth and scope of knowledge. So I think approach it in the manner of, I'm going to give my best effort and I'm going to give this event, this sport, the utmost respect, respect that it deserves. And I'm going to approach it humbly with, with a little bit of humility and a lot of respect that the audience knows that I know that they know more than I do, if that makes sense. Sure. And then over time, hopefully I do develop the expertise where we kind of pass that baton where I'm not the novice asking um, asking questions for my own identification, it's okay. I can identify an action. I can identify a ruling and I can speak to some of what's going on here. Uh, and a lot of it is thankfully as play by play announcers, we have analysts who are experts. And so learning to ask the right question, learning to defer to the expert sitting beside you is really, really important. It's why they're there. And so if, if to start, if you're leaning on biographical information or scorekeeping 
or the nuts and bolts of the broadcast, including traffic and sponsorships and that kind of thing, then make sure that you square that away and leave plenty of room for your expert analyst to do what he or she does best. And, and I think if you're able, listen to their commentary, learn from it, and ask kind of intelligent follow-ups or continue to uh, lead them to expound upon what they, they really do know. Um, look, the, the fact is that a lot of these niche sports, they have very, very diehard audiences. But the goal for wrestling or fencing, to kind of continue to use them as examples, is to bring those sports to a larger audience. And I guess as the novice announcer, you're part of that potential audience. And so while you have to respect the people who have spent decades in fencing, you also, I think, need to appeal to someone who stumbled upon the Olympics for the first time and has never watched fencing on MSNBC and bring them into the fold. So you have a role to play in that respect as well. Do you come to enjoy doing sports like that? Uh, yes, but also no. And what I mean by <laughs> no is it's, it's a very daunting thing to walk into a realm that you've never been in before where there are a bunch of insiders. Uh, these niche sports are very much like clubs. Really, all sports are. If you walk into a major league clubhouse for the first time or an NFL locker room, you know, there's, there's insiders and there are outsiders. And so that can be really tough. It's intimidating. It's a big hurdle to overcome the hours and the, the kind of labor that it takes to get up to speed is really daunting. That being said, I've felt as rewarded or more rewarded by finding a modicum of success or establishing a modicum of reputation within kind of some of these peripheral Olympic sports as I have calling, you know, the biggest basketball and football games that I've been able to. I mean, there's just something rewarding about taking on that challenge and surviving it, if not succeeding in it. You've been doing, you've been part of the Olympics, correct? So, interesting story. Okay. Uh, I mentioned my 2004 internship. That was my first Olympic experience. And during the London games, I kind of realized, you know, I would like to get back to that level. I would like to make that a career aspiration. So I have spent the better part of the last quad pursuing an opportunity with NBC for these Olympics, um, which I had secured and I was set to do fencing, synchronized swimming and modern pentathlon. And two weeks before I left for Stanford, Connecticut, I was offered the opportunity to become the voice of the Rams <laughs> and with two preseason games falling um, during the Rio broadcast window, uh, I was forced to make a very difficult decision and, uh, and an unfortunate, but also very fortunate one. There were, there were a lot of conflicting emotions there. Uh, moral of the story is obviously I had to, I had to go with the Rams opportunity and I'm a, a very, very excited about that. But, uh, I did not get to do the Olympics in the in the way that I would have answered that question had yeah. things gone the other direction. There, there are worse problems, I, I, I guess. Talk about that the the last four years. What do you what did you do and what do you do and how do you build up enough of a base that you go to NBC Sports and say, "I'm trustworthy <clears throat> enough to be handed the keys to this car." Well, that's debatable, first of all. Um, but I guess <laughs> the way that I approached it was. Uh, I had the opportunity to 
kind of take over, <clears throat> excuse me, the responsibility for the NCAA fencing championships on the ESPN family of networks. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was a worthwhile endeavor because fencing is an Olympic sport. I think the Americans are on the rise within that Olympic sport, within that Olympic discipline. So I thought, look, for complete and total utter lack of competition, I don't think anyone else is going to pursue fencing the way that I might. So if I become the utmost American authority in broadcasting on fencing, again, surely because no one else is trying, maybe that is my entry point, my foot in the door with the Olympics, because uh, assuming they don't really, really dislike me for any other variety of reasons, it would behoove them to put someone who really, really understands the sport and has called NCAA championships and Grand Prix and World Cups and, and World Championships in the last four years. It would make sense to use, you know, that that kind of announcer to bolster our fencing coverage. Now, I, I don't know behind the scenes if that is what ultimately played into their decision to offer me this opportunity. Um, but that was the approach. That was kind of my four-year roadmap was if I really, really nail down fencing. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to go beyond the NCAAs to do some of the other international events. I've had a great time traveling to Budapest and Moscow to uh, to handle some of those events. Uh, anyway, if, if I if I was able to kind of execute on that vision where, hey, we need fencing. Who knows fencing? That they would hopefully look around the landscape and say, oh, that guy knows fencing. I've taken uh, a lot of your time, so I, I want to get to one more quick thing, and, and then uh, I will let you sure. go. Sure. No, take your time. Um, take your time. you got plenty. Okay. I know, I know you said the movers are there. so. <laughs> 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 um, I've punted on the lead long enough, so uh, I, I guess I can unbury that. But uh, congrats on, on getting the Rams, by the way. Um, how, did, uh, how did the chance to broadcast in the NFL – cross your mind, cross your plate? Uh, at what point did you say, like, gosh, this is this is the next endeavor I want to tackle? Yeah, so a few pieces to this answer, the first of which is, you know, you and I were probably supposed to get together a month ago or at least three <laughs> weeks ago, and I'm, I'm sorry for postponing <laughs> on you. And at the time, I just kind of had to say, look, if this goes the way I, I hope it's going to go, we might have a much more interesting conversation for you <laughs> and for our, for our audience. So thank you for your patience there. Quite all right. Um, you know, as of, as of a month ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was, the Rams specifically were not necessarily a blip on my radar. However, doing professional sports, being a part of the National Football League, and really at its core just being the voice of a team had become an utmost career priority. It's something that I, I've shared with my friends and family. It's something that I shared with my agent and, and kind of targeting our pursuits in that regard. Uh, to go back to Notre Dame, that's kind of where I got it in my blood was, you know, on college football Saturdays, taking trips to the big house or to Tennessee or to, to the Coliseum. And at that time, when you're a student, you feel like you're a part of it. I mean, you're not going to practice. You're not, you're not playing clearly. But as a burnt-out high school athlete, that was the closest thing I could find to being a part of a team still. And then you go into your profession and you become a journalist or you become uh, a network announcer and you kind of have to trade in your fan card, which I, I gladly did. But you go home at the end of the night and what matters to you is how the show went 
and how you performed and not necessarily what the score was. I mean, you, you hope and you pray for competitive games because that's what we're all in it for. And that's what, that's what makes those final minutes compelling. But ultimately, who won and who lost doesn't really affect how your dinner tastes. And so after kind of like a decade of going through this, I was really craving the opportunity to be associated with a team again. For that reason, that aforementioned reason, which is I just wanted to kind of, you know, ride the highs and lows of being affiliated with wins and losses. Um, but also because I just think you develop a much different, a much more special relationship with your audience. Um, you know, I don't know which, which college or pro teams you follow, but to use Hawk Harrelson as a, a really well-known example of the voice of the Chicago White Sox. If you are a Chicago White Sox fan, chances are having a beer with Hawk Harrelson is on your bucket list. And Hawk can do no wrong, no matter how much of a homer he is, no matter how many balls or strikes he misses, he is your guy. And you've raised your ch- you've either been raised on him or you've raised your children on him and, and his announcing day in and day out in Chicago. If you are not a Chicago White Sox fan, you might think that Hawk Harrelson is the worst thing to ever happen to broadcasting. And you might think he's the most annoying, biased broadcaster you've ever come across. But that line of demarcation where you're either one of us or you're not is really, really cool. And believe me, I'm decades away from kind of getting inside that line with any fan base, much less the Los Angeles Rams. But to have that opportunity, that potential to maybe be associated with a generation of fans who grew up in Los Angeles or moved to Los Angeles and, and, and make the Rams their team. That's just something that in my career, I really wanted to find a way to capture. I mean, if, if you do national games or conference games and that's all you do, you can do them really, really well. But at the end of the day, who affiliates with you, right? Someone will always think you're biased against them. Someone will always be displeased that you celebrated the other team's winning goal or bucket or touchdown. Um, it, it, when an, with an opportunity like this, it, it, there's no real question where your loyalties lie mm. because you're, you're working for an audience. You're working for a fan base. And I, I'm just so excited about hopefully delivering a product that a fan base can identify with. And that's just really one of the things that in my career I wanted to link into again. I've got a, a, a wonky industry question and a, and a wonky craft question. Um, the industry sure. side of it is, and I, mean, I appreciate you answering this one in any way, because um, I don't want to get too personal with it, but what's it like like interviewing for an NFL job? Like sitting in that room with an NFL franchise in Los Angeles, of all places, that, that's got so much hype around it, sitting across the table from you and saying, why should we make you our voice? Um, what's that process like at that level? Well, I'm probably ill-equipped to answer in the sense that I've only done it once, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so it was it was much more enjoyable than I could have ever anticipated because of who was across the table. And I don't know if, if other announcers have had that same experience because I imagine you know, the executives of other franchises, they run the gamut of personalities and styles just like all of us do in every walk of life. So uh, I'm not sure that I have a holistic view of, of how those conversations typically go. All I know is that I was very, very blessed to find myself uh, at a table with 
with two people that I instantaneously identified with. Uh, maybe what I could offer your audience that's a bit more specific or, or might be uh, something that they can build off of is, is the preparation uh, and the approach that you take to those interviews. Yeah. And in one, in one sense, the Rams interview was the hardest thing I've ever interviewed for or prepared for because, you know, on short notice with no real prior experience, in the National Football League, I had to demonstrate my wares and I had to get up to speed. But in the in the other sense, it was also the easiest interview I ever did because in those settings, what you're pitching is, I really, really want this. And I'm going to sink every ounce of my professional energy into this opportunity if you give it to me. And those are the things that we all say when we're in those seats. And, and we, I think I use the collective we here, we mean them with varying degrees of sincerity, right? Because sure, I would love to be the voice of the mud hens, but I would really like to be the voice of the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's tough to say if, if you make me the, the Charlotte stone crabs play by play voice, I'm going to do this every day until I die. Well, <laughs> maybe, um, but probably not. So what I mean by easy, again, uh, sorry for being long-winded here. What I mean is easy is when I said, look, I really, really want this opportunity. And if all that I ever do in my broadcasting career is Rams games from now until whenever you take this this away from me, I will be satisfied. And I think it it was maybe the first or maybe the second time in my career where I could really deliver that message and mean it sincerely and mean it wholeheartedly. And I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. It, it energized my preparation. It continues to energize uh, the way that I'm approaching this first NFL season is because this is exactly what I wanted. And uh, I, I want to do my best to capitalize. And it, it's easy to get up in the morning and, and go through the machinations that I need to do to make myself be ready for, for, for Sundays. I appreciate you answering that. Um, the uh, the craft side of the the wonkiness was more mm-hmm. uh, like like you said. I mean, this is this is going to be a, a new venture for you in a lot of ways. Um, how have you prepped and gotten ready for broadcasting NFL football on the radio? I've just inhaled content, to be honest, and and God bless where we where we are at this <laughs> point in time. I mean, it's probably a blessing and a curse in terms of the volume. But it's three a.m. I'm cannot, still I'm, I cannot imagine going through this before on-demand content <laughs> or before Google alerts. I mean, it, it, I the one thing that I have kind of been able to refine, I think, to a science is my my approach, right? Yeah, my process. And so the moment I kind of flipped the switch as, Hey, this is the direction we're going to go. It was easy. You know, I, I flipped my bleacher report team stream alerts to the Rams and to the NFL. And I set up Google alerts for the Rams and all their preseason opponents and all of our September regular season opponents. And I followed all of the people who cover these teams and these entities on Twitter. And it just, it becomes a lot to funnel down into a digestible number of hours per day. And thankfully there's more content than I think I'll ever be able to digest, but you just start to live and breathe it. And at first it's tough. And at first it's foreign, 
and then it becomes a little bit familiar and then it just becomes part of your routine and you start to think, I guess it's probably like learning a language. You start to think and dream in it, right? And then it just is second nature before you know it. And believe me, it's not second nature for me just yet, but I hope, hopefully at some point this season or in the next couple of seasons, it just becomes second nature. Was it enjoyable doing football on the radio? Like, I mean, was it different? Was it? How did it feel putting a headset on in, in that capacity? Well, i got to be honest. Uh, among the many, many leaps of faith that they took on me, was the fact that I had not done radio since college. And TV <laughs> and radio are, are drastically different things, as you know. And uh, I, it was probably what I sweated over the most is, is just getting back. You know, I spent all these years trying to thin out my verbiage and my calls because, hey, dude, shut up. We can see what the score is. We know what the clock is, right? And then you have to kind of go back to, no, wait a second, you're their lifeline and you are their only source of time and score and down and distance. And so that, that I think, was uh, is really intriguing to go back to thinking that way. And it reminds me of how pure the radio form is. Like, if, if you really love our craft and what we do, and I know that you do, there's something that's just more pure and authentic about radio because, because you're the only source. Last question, JB, and uh, I, I've taken almost an hour, so I'll let you go on this note. Um, this is a bio question, uh, a little bit more fun. Um, you don't like chocolate? <laughs> How did you find that one out? You've really done your research. I just I, I watched the Getting to Know JB Long video, and like, and I, I was like taking notes, and I was like, all right, here's a bunch of interesting industry things, and then you said I don't like chocolate, and I stopped. Yeah, I'm weird, but uh, the good news is, is that's how I hooked my wife. That's that's probably the only reason she agreed to marry me is she just doubled down on her chocolate resources because everything that I receive on holidays and everything I just pass right along to her. She's so we are little... never competing <laughs> at the fridge or at the pantry. It's the little things that come back that you don't think about. And well, I tell you what, it's the the secret to success. Find something that. <laughs> your significant other really, really likes and you are willing to part with and bond over that because I have, I used to spit chocolate out as a baby and I have been forced to try. That's the fascinating thing is not only do people not believe you, but they are intent on proving you wrong as if chocolate or you have somehow changed over a period of time where you are going to come around. And, and I have, you know, taste buds all change. We've all sure. kind of gone from, ah, I don't really like this to, wow, I'm obsessed with this. But I assure you, we will never cross that chasm when it comes to chocolate. You can have all of it. Yeah, it's like, I, I know you don't like chocolate, but trust me, you've never had my aunt's cookies. Like, these are different. <laughs> or maybe it's white chocolate, or maybe it's <laughs> what, red velvet, or whatever it is. Trust me, I don't like it. Just be glad that you can have my portion. Uh, <laughs> on that note, JB, uh, how can people get in touch with you? How can they uh, find you on Twitter or, or listen to you or any of, any of those good things? Well, after hearing how little I had to say here, I'm, I doubt that they would want to, but I guess <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at JB underscore Wong. Uh, I have a Facebook page as well that I don't maintain very well. But uh, And then uh, new to the program, the social media sphere is uh, Rams radio on Snapchat and Instagram. If you kind of want to see what uh, our first season behind the scenes is like, uh, go ahead and follow at Rams radio. There'll be much more compelling content that has very little to do with me and far more to do with Todd Gurley and Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams. Good tip for you there with JB Long. If you ever need to get him a thank you present, not chocolate.
not chocolate. And if you're a female play-by-play announcer, he is married. Uh, but if he wasn't, uh, don't give him chocolate for Valentine's Day because uh, he won't eat it. I guess you'll get to then. I, I think that was the point there uh, at the end. But no chocolate for J.B. Law. Uh, many thanks, as uh, always, for J.B. taking the time out and uh, and chatting with us. Uh, one of the more uh, lengthier and in-depth conversations we've had so far. By the way, Graham Gano just missed the field goal. Uh, Broncos win. Broncos win. The band is out of the field. Uh, but uh, thanks, uh, as always. Uh, really in-depth stuff. Really good stuff from J.B. there. Uh, when it comes to the networking stuff, I thought was uh, really interesting. The approach there, and uh, I thought the Olympics approach, talked about the fencing stuff off the top of the podcast, the Olympics approach, I think is genius. Uh, so I, don't know, I got four years to be a really good sport climbing broadcaster, and uh, I better get to work on that one. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's always amazing how paths unfold in this industry. Um, so good to talk to JB. Got another football voice coming up on the podcast next week. I uh, won't reveal quite who it is yet. We'll keep you guessing. Uh, but he's a, he's a notable guy who does a lot of stuff. I'm sure you've probably seen him or heard him. And, uh, it'll be interesting to talk to, uh, an East coast guy. We'll narrow it down for you. Um, come play by play cast next week. They're playing the music though, which means we got to get up on out of here. So thanks for downloading and subscribing as well. If you like the podcast, rate it, let iTunes know. It helps notoriety and eventually advertisers and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, stars, downloads, subscriptions, all that stuff. Hit us up on social media as well, at PXPCast. Until next time, my name is Joel Godet. This is Play by Playcast, and we're out. Play by play, play by play.